another episode of the Climbing Hinge Podcast. Yes, on this episode, it's going to be the flow of the masculine and the feminine, part two, with an emphasis on empathy, feminine, flowing into mission, masculine, how those two things flow together and how you can master them to flow together to be much more successful in whatever task or mission that you have. So empathy flowing into mission. Before we get into that, however, I want to cover a couple other things. First thing that we want to cover, we're going to cover, is we're going to go back 70,000 years and, and look at behaviors in tribes, small tribes and clans to understand exactly how a lot of modern day behaviors, human behaviors, mating behaviors became very innate and instinctual. And you'll see when we go back 70,000 years in the behaviors, the, the relationship behaviors in these tribes and clans, how it echoes forward from today. So we're going to cover that. Then we're going to go into some examples of empathy flowing into mission using a couple of case studies so that you can harness this power to be much more successful in your relationships and in life in general. All right, so let's go back. Back in time, 70,000 years, tribes and clans. And this, this particular tribes and clans will be located in uh, the tip of southern Africa um, in some of the study areas that were looked at, anthropological studies, etc., and let's go in and look at the various behaviors. We're going to start and look at some of the masculine behaviors first from some of the, the men in the tribe. How did they behave? How did it shape modern day behaviors? So one of the things that they theorized that, that men did back in those 70,000 years ago in those tribes and clans is that they would hunt meat and not just hunt meat to provide food, but hunt meat to provide sport, to provide a symbol of something, to get greater access to females for sex. Specifically, that's what it's called. So they would hunt increasingly bigger and dangerous game, bring it back to the tribe or the clan, show it off in order to impress females for sexual favors. And so um, you can, you can kind of look at today's behavior. What do some people do? What do men do to show off? They race cars, they compete, they win matches, they get aggressive, all kinds of things that they might do to impress women to achieve status. And you might theorize that the, the men back in those clans, if they're hunting big wild animals, right? They would have to have displays of confidence and direction and certainty and decisiveness. And so their, their body language and how they would carry themselves would probably evoke that type of, of symbolism. And again, today, one of the things, and we know, and if you look at the uh, research we did on the, a dating podcast about flirting, so in the flirting ex the scenario in modern day, when men and women flirt, women are instinctively detecting 
body language that tells them that the man is status, a status-seeking man. So he's, he has good body language, he gesticulates with his hands, he uses uh, eye contact, he takes up space while he's talking. All those things denote and have connotations of status-seeking behavior. All right, so that's on the, on the high end, the, the high end spectrum of male behavior in the tribe. Let's look at the lower end male behavior. What did, what did guys do that were lower on the pecking order? And it's thought that they, what they, one of the things they would do, instead of hunting for big game, big meat, um, these guys would scavenge for food, right? And so they'd scavenge for food, and one of the things that they, then they would try to do was trade the scavenged food for sex, right? So lower, lower value males scavenging for food and then try to trade it for sex. Now, um, it's possible they could be successful in this. They believe, people believe it would be successful. But however, the female would know that if she took the offer, right? She could be tainted because she's associated with a, with a lower value member of the tribe. So this type of behavior, scavenging, desperation, um, begging for sex, things like that, it has the effect of, of tainting the man and making the woman feel what towards him? Disgust. We see that play out today in relationships. If I see a man who's behaving um, overly appeasing and desperate and begging in a situation, one of the things that happens is the woman is disgusted by that. And we can see where the, all these, these instinctual behaviors come from quite clearly in looking at in these old tribes. Now, so we have, we have the spectrum of masculine behavior here, right? You have the high value members hunting big game to come back and show off for sex. They're doing dangerous work. Then you have other members of the tribe scavenging, begging, desperate. Two polar opposites. Let's, let's flip over to female behavior in these ancient tribes and clans. And one of the things that they theorized that they were doing was that women would take this substance, it's a okra, it's like a clay, and they would gather it up from the, from the earth, the ground, and then they would cook it in a fire along with animal fat and urine. So red okra, animal fat, and urine. Mix it up into kind of this liquefied goo, and they would spread it on their genitals. Now you're asking, why would they do this? <laughs> so the answer is to appear to be more fertile. And so they would smear it on them to signal to men that they weren't pregnant and they were fertile. And then what this would do it would motivate men to bring back bigger meat to get the prize. Okay, so that's one of the things that they would, they would do. Interestingly enough, they also theorize that women might even do this when they were pregnant. So until, until they were showing enough that they could hide it. So you're asking, why would they continue to do this if they were pregnant? The answer would be to deceive the male hunters so that they could continue to be vied over by men in order to get bigger 
portions of food and meat. And so they were very deceptive. And so one of the things you see today, even in, in male-female relationships and behaviors, is deception. We talked about this process on the last podcast, the flow of the masculine and the feminine. And this process is called epigenetics. So as people behave in certain ways, it expresses it, their, those behaviors become expressed in their DNA. And then over time, the behaviors become an innate instinctual thing. So for today, and that's just 70,000 years ago, we can go back hundreds of thousands and millions of years in the evolution of human beings. And from generation to generation to generation, behaviors become innate and instinct. So today, when you see men and women in relationships and behaviors, they have a sixth sense. Women sense things about their partners or potential partners that tell them he's a status-seeking man or he's disgusting or maybe he can't be trusted. One other thing happened in the human brain during this process of evolution and they call it the feminization of the brain, of the human brain. And basically what happened was in order to be more successful in raising offspring, children, kids, um, within these tribes and clans, the people had to kind of go through a, a self-taming process. And in that self-taming process, the, the human brain became more feminized. And interesting enough, they, they, they speculate that brains now versus back then have a lot less androgens and testosterone. So the feminization of the human brain occurred over the period of history, allowing human beings to mate and have children more successfully. So again, just kind of understanding how these things happen and flowing the masculine and feminine energies. One other thing that would happen in tribes and clans back uh, throughout history is this idea of ostracism and rejection. And what they say is ostracism would often be the first step towards starvation and early death. That's from Jane Goodall, 1986. So, so for early humans, survival was directly tied to their groups. Due to this, humans have developed an ostracism and a rejection detection systems that responds to such threats. That's research from Andrews in 2002. This ostracism or rejection that we experience can produce social pain and feelings of physical pain, physical like pain. Research from Price in 2000. So where am I going with this? Back in the ancient tribes and clans, rejection and ostracism became symbolically linked to potential death. Acceptance and belonging in the group was life. All right, so you bring this forward into modern day relationships and how does, it, how does it play out? Well, think about when you feel rejected. How does it feel? It feels pretty painful, right? And it can feel horrible. And if you're in a relationship and you are rejected by your partner, it can, be, it, it can make you feel this kind of pain. We also know what rejection causes a cascading effect in the human body. It activates the amygdala, it activates the dopaminergic system, and 
it activates the, the sympathetic nervous system, your body's flight or fight response system, which causes a whole host of negative effects on the human body. So once the dopaminergic system is activated, you get a craving feeling. That's where that craving comes from. You want to fix things. Cortisol is released in your body that acts as a stimulant, so you're excited. Your oxygenated blood goes from your internal organs to your external muscles um, to, to enable you for flight or flight. So a lot of the feelings of empty stomach, not feeling hungry, um, uh, losing weight can come from rejection and things like that. So understand, rejection is a powerful thing. Now we have a solution for this to address it. Um, and it's called reframing the situation, resisting, acting upon the cravings, and elevating yourself, which is doing things to rechange your, um, the chemical balance in your body. So a reframing, for example, would be something bad happened and I reframe it into a positive. I, I text my partner, she doesn't text me back. I reframe it. I simply say, look, she didn't respond. If I resist taking action, and I respect and accept the fact she didn't want to communicate right now, she will then feel that, and then she will likely feel more trusting, more positive, and more attractive towards me. So that's the reframing process. I resist taking actions. I resist you know, falling into the cravings. And then I elevate. I can go work out. I can go on a nature run. I can smile. I can do some energy exercises. I can go for a walk. I can run. Uh, all those types of things to rechange and reset my body chemistry. So reframe, resist, elevate. But we see how rejection plays out so powerfully in, in relationships and in, in, in group relationships. So understand, when you feel rejected, this is where it's coming from. This is why it can be so powerful. Well, this is where we have to use our cognition, our knowledge of these processes to reframe and overcome it. On the flip side, acceptance. One of the reasons acceptance is so powerful, it means life, literally. Back then, accepting into a group meant you could live. Rejection meant death. And so we have a podcast where we talk about how powerful acceptance is. Acceptance rewards the human brain. So when someone feels accepted, it activates parts of the brain associated with rewards. It feels good. That's part of empathy, accepting somebody else for who they are. So now let's get into the flowing of these energies and how we can harness them for superpowers. And what I like to say is flow and start with empathy and then flow into mission. Empathy feminine, mission masculine. And the reason I say start with empathy is because most people won't. Most people will start with their own selfish feelings about, she's not calling me. She's not texting me. She's not rubbing my back anymore. She's not giving me affection. And that will all lead generally to a victim mindset and mentality and a bad outcome. So what we want to do is reverse that process, start with empathy, and then flow into mission. We're going to go through a couple of case studies to show us. First of all, what is empathy? And again, we have a podcast on empathy. And basically, empathy is, 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 is it's kind of a three-step process. The first step is understanding the other person's lived experience. And so what might that be? 
what are all the things they've experienced in their life? What are their experiences recently? What are their experiences with me? And how does that shape their emotional state? What they feel, how they act, how they behave. And if we start there, we got some clues on how we can incorporate certain things into our behavior and our mission. Um, so empathy first, I understand the other person's lived experience, which is not easy, you have to think through it. How does this person feel based upon everything they've been through in their life? Second step is some kind of uh, acknowledgement of that. And my knowledge of it might simply be I'm respecting the other person's space. I might not have to say anything overt. And the third step is they see how I'm behaving so they recognize it, all right? Okay, so let's go through a quick, a, a quick example here. First one, we've got case one. A man and a woman have been dating for, let's just say, six to eight months. And you can tell, like, if you were to observe them, they're, look like they're falling in love, you know? They're playful, and you can tell they're giggling, and they're very love-like. However, within that period of the, of the several months that they've been dating, there have been some signs and some signals from the female that perhaps her falling in love is scaring her. So she might have a profile that somebody who is, has a hard time dealing with emotional intimacy and being vulnerable. And some women, it can be very scary. It feels like they're out of control. She might also have a commitment problem. So being committed in a relationship might scare her because she feels like she's trapped and can't get out. So in this scenario, she has shown a few small signs of that, but nothing large until all of a sudden she starts to pull away for no apparent reason. Things had been seemingly going well. They've been dating many months and now the woman starts to distance herself. She's not texting as much. She's not putting as much energy. She's not wanting to go and hang out with the guy. What is the guy feeling? Well, number one, rejection, right? He feels her pulling away. Now, go back to what we just talked about. He's not going to die because of this, okay? But the ancient instincts and feelings of being rejection, remember what they symbolize? Death. And so once he starts to feel her, her rejecting, he starts to get worried and insecure. He wants to take action. That's what happens when your body goes into uh, a flight or fight response. Your dopaminergic system is activated. Your amygdala is activated. Your sympathetic nervous system is activated. All those things make you feel like you want to act and do something. Because remember, 70,000 years ago, rejection meant death. Now today, if you act upon those feelings, and I've seen many men do it, generally what happens, the situation gets worse because the man starts either acting in the negative masculine, where he starts to get controlling and pushy, or he goes into the negative feminine where he starts to get needy and desperate and begging. If he gets needy, desperate and begging, what happens? It evokes what? The old tribal behaviors of the low-value men. And it's disgusting to women, so she rejects you. All right, so what do you want to do in this case? The first thing you're going to feel is rejected. First thing you should do is reframe, resist, and elevate. 
and then go into empathy and say, what is she feeling and why? What are the clues? What do I believe is going on? Oh, that's right. She gave me some clues. She said something about commitment before. She did say a few words that this relationship was scaring her in terms of her being vulnerable. So I put the clues together and I say, oh my, she, she really is falling in love, but she's scared. And, and so she's pulling away to, to allow herself to regain control. All right, so I know these things. If I think about it, what do I want to show her now from an from a empathy standpoint? So I'm, I'm working through her lived experience. She's scared. She's afraid of commitment. She's pulling away. She wants her space. What does that mean? Well, I want to show her that I, I can accept what she's doing. I can respect it. I can support it, acknowledge it, and hear her. And if I do all those things, you know what's going to happen? She will feel better about me, right? One of the reasons she will feel better about me, by the way, is because when she's doing those things, she's going to expect me to act out in a very negative manner, right? When I don't, when I'm accepting of her, when I'm respectful, supportive, and acknowledging and allowing herself to feel heard, what I'm going to do is I'm going to modulate the energy that I show her to show her those things, right? And then I exceed her expectations. And when I exceed her expectations, what happens is it activates her dopaminergic system to release more dopamine. She gets rewarded, associated with me. She feels warmer towards me more love towards me, more trust towards me. Also, I'm behaving in a safe way, which likely increases um, oxytocin production in her body as well. See, so I start with empathy rather than what I want, right? Now that I started with empathy, I flow into my masculine mission and I say, okay, as part of my masculine mission, what I must do? Well, As part of my mission with her, I have to show her respect, support, acknowledgement, allow her to be heard. How do I do that in terms of actual behaviors is I look at the energy that I'm giving her and I make sure I'm not giving her an excessive amount of energy back towards her or asking her like, why are you doing this? Why are you pulling away? Why are you not returning my messages? Because if I do all those things, it's going to only what? reinforce her fears because she's already scared and she's got commitment issues and she's feeling vulnerable. If I do that, it reinforces her fears. I also act on the, on the low value spectrum end of the tribal clans and the relationship probably goes down and ends and it's going to be very hard for me to recover. So if I go for empathy first, what is she feeling and why? She's scared. She's got relationship commitment issues. She's feeling vulnerable. So she's pulling back in her space so that she can feel more in control of herself. I have empathy towards that. I then incorporate those things into my mission with her. I respect, accept, support, acknowledge, hear her as part of how I behave. And then I also make sure that my other areas of my life, my focus, my mission, my purpose, stay on track. Because if those get off track, I'm not taking care of myself. I'm not going to the gym. 
I'm not eating right. I'm not fasting right. I'm not elevating myself mentally and physically to be in a good spot. I start falling down and then I become less useful to somebody in a relationship. Empathy first, flowing into mission. Empathy, mission. So see how the flowing of the uh, masculine and feminine can go very seamlessly here. Um, one more quick example. A, a married couple. They're married for uh, five, six, seven years. Two kids. Woman's not feeling in love. She comes towards the husband and tells him she's thinking about separation and divorce. Again, the man's going to go through the whole rejection cycle and feel rejected and want to do all the things that he shouldn't do. But again, flow, empathy first. Forget about feeling going into victim territory. Why is she doing this to me? Why, how could she do this? We're married. Empathy first. One of the things we know about women, when, especially when there's children involved in marriage and they ask for and talk about separation and divorce, it causes them great anguish and shame and, and, and pain. They may not show it to you. They may hide it very well, but it is there. So if you go to empathy first, what is she feeling? She's, it's very hard for her. This is difficult. This is causing anguish. Okay, now if I flow that into my mission, and part of my mission is to, you know, reunite with her in a loving relationship and marriage for it, we're together. I want to show her that I understand how she feels. So I might say something to the effect of, I can see that this is very difficult for you. I, I can only imagine how hard this is for you to come and tell me this. And I, I can't even tell you how much I appreciate that you can come and be open with me and, and talk to me like this. So anyways, that's some of the things I might say. Empathy flowing into mission. And then I say, just like the past example, how do I want to behave going forward? I need to respect her feelings, accept how she feels, support her, acknowledge, allow her to be heard, and then flow and focus on my mission, incorporating those things into it. Also, continuing on my mission on my other things, work, working out, whatever else I might have associated with being a role model for my children. I can't be a role model for my children if I fall apart. All right, so the flowing of the masculine and the feminine, the feminine empathy flowing into mission seamlessly. Look at that. And if we can develop our default, so it's not why is she doing this to me and feeling rejected, but what is she feeling? What's going on and why? I am far likely to have a better chance of succeeding in all my missions because not only that, if I do these things, I am going to stay in a much more positive, healthy state of mind by doing this anyways. If I fall into the rabbit hole of begging and desperation and pleading, trust me, things always get worse. All right, so there you have it. The flow of the feminine and the masculine. Empathy first, flowing into mission, to mission success that rocket ship taking off. And thank you once again for listening to this episode of the Climbing Henge Podcast.